Hello everybody and welcome to episode 10 of Walk to Work from... I wanted to record this morning uh, on my way to work so now I'm on my way back from work and hopefully it's slightly less windy though as you can hear still quite windy. Um, today I'm quite excited because instead of a rant I have a ramble for you instead. Uh, I've been feeling kind of guilty about ranting about so many things. Um, Today, instead, I would like to talk about uh, learning and more specifically how we learn or some of the interesting things I think uh, are relevant about how we learn. So for for context, uh, for eight years I was a learning scientist, Uh, so I did research in the learning sciences. Uh, The learning sciences is one of several fields that is preoccupied with, uh, with learning. Uh, there's uh, research into education, there's research into learning from a, psycholog- a psychological point of view, cognitive point of view, neuroscience point of view. Um, there's research into learning and teaching from an educational point of view, uh, a policy point of view I meant, um, from a... Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, instructional point of view, what should teachers do, how should we teach teachers? Uh, the learning sciences is the field that preoccupies itself with learning contexts. Uh, so how do you create situations or environments that are conducive to learning? And the learning sciences also preoccupies itself with not so much the philosophical question of what is learning, uh, but with the idea that uh, just measuring uh, retention or measuring doing better at school is not necessarily a, a good assessment uh, of, uh, of learning. And so that's kind of a, an issue that I assume is well known in psychological fields that work uh, with learning, uh, but that I haven't really got my head around is Hello, cars. Within within an experimental setting, within an experimental setting, um, it's quite challenging to control, uh, to create a controlled uh, environment where you can measure variables around learning and also measure learning. Because if you want to control things. Um, well then suddenly you're operating in kind of short timescales because you can't control people for months and months at a time or measure everything about people for months and months at a time uh, <clears throat> or weeks and weeks even and learning is definitely a thing that I think happens more on a scale of weeks than it does uh, within uh, a period of an hour for example and so a lot of, uh, a lot of research around learning uh, also in the learning sciences is kind of constrained by the fact that we do uh, a pretest, we do a thing, and then we do a post-test, and we measure uh, improvement. Um, and that's kind of a, a shallow way uh, of, uh, of assessing learning. And people have gotten around that in various ways. Uh, but just, yes, that's generally what uh, the learning sciences is interested. The learning sciences is also interested. Uh, we tend to kind of be, want to be disruptive. Uh, so it kind of carries a, a bias sometimes against direct instruction, uh, which, uh, as one of the leading learning sciences, uh, Paul Kirshner has pointed out, uh, is uh, quite a fallacy because one of the best 
um, for many, many situations, uh, direct instruction. So a teacher standing up in front of a classroom uh, and telling the classroom things is a thing we haven't really uh, improved upon. Um, and yeah, learning sciences like use technology, which is kind of where I fit in more uh, with, um, uh, for its own sake, but also mainly I think because technology is a disruptor. You can uh, try to create new things uh, when, you have, when you have people working with technology or people learning with technology or people collaborating. And collaboration is also a, a big one. Uh, and also generally constructivism, uh, which I suppose could be shorthandedly called learning by doing or learning by experimenting. Um, Yes, so that's the that's the learning sciences. That's the things that I know about learning. That I know about learning. So there's a lot that I don't know uh, about learning. Uh, obviously, I can't speak about that really. But it does mean there's big uh, big gaps in what I know and understand. Um, and today, I think yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, two uh, conditions for learn. Well, no, I want to talk about what learning is and um, how. Uh, what kind of constraints there are on our ability to actually learn things and so basically some things that every learning context uh, including a learning dance context yes there is a link um, kind of has to have um, <clears throat> so when we think what is learning so uh, two times two is four I, I can recite that well I can't actually I never did the learned it recitation way but I still know my times tables uh, off by heart um, and that's a rather, it is a form of learning, um, but it's, uh, it has a technical term, so I'm not sure what that technical term is. I'm going to call it recitation or retention. Uh, it's the ability to literally have a thing in memory and be able to recall it from memory. Uh, but learning goes beyond that. Like if I know that 2 times 2 is 4, I don't necessarily know that um, 2 pounds of apples at... Uh, two pounds per pound of apples, maybe I should take kilos and francs. Anyway, uh, two pounds of apple, two kilos of apples at uh, two uh, euros per kilo, I don't necessarily know that that's going to be four. Uh, but it's the same, that's what the, 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 the skill is. Uh, and same thing, if I know how to um, calculate the price of apples from the weight and the price per kilo, uh, do I understand that I can transfer this knowledge to pairs or that I transfer this knowledge to cloth but cloth then becomes interesting because I'm measuring it by surface and so the length and the width are both relevant um, and they are multiplicatively relevant to each other. So if you double the length you double the price, if you double the width you double the price, if... is that true? Yes. Yes, because if you double the length, you double the surface, so you double the price. Um, this wouldn't necessarily be true. I guess it depends what we what we'd be measuring. Anyhow, um, and that's where we get the idea of transfer. You can take knowledge and apply it and transfer it to a new situation. And that's, I think, the best definition we have of what it means to have learned something. Um, and we can see we have this test built into dancing or social dancing. Uh, the new situation being we're dancing with a different person. Can we take the skills that we have and apply them to dancing to a new person? And often that's actually quite uh, quite challenging. 
uh, and ask some interesting questions about what uh, skills are transferable and what does it mean to have transferable skills uh, in dance. Anywho. Um, so, so, so learning involves uh, this uh, ability to have information or have skills. Oh yeah, there's two, at least two kinds of uh, knowledge. One is uh, declarative and one is procedural. So declarative knowledge is here is the way to do a thing. Uh, I can verbalize that knowledge. Procedural is I can do a thing. So something we can typically do procedurally is ride a bike. Um, it's a thing that most people cannot do declaratively because the physics of riding a bike and how you use the handlebars is actually really, really sophisticated. The same is true of uh, walking, for example. Um, and so I don't know of any good research that examines the link uh, between declarative and procedural knowledge. Uh, I tried to find some things, but was mostly kind of disappointed. If you know of anything, uh, please point it out to me. Um, and then we have kind of uh, the more physical, the procedural skill. Uh, there's something special going on there as well. And that gets into the research I found is kind of uh, performance uh, research. Uh, and that takes us often too close to kind of uh, athletics, uh, sort of um, physical performance of uh, excellence as opposed to um, so repeating a movement to perfection or performing a piece to perfection and what are the skills you need to practice for that. Um, and that's not exactly what I'm looking for when trying to figure out how these things impact dance teaching uh, because I'm, although I am interested in people drilling until they're good at a thing, uh, I think that's only part of the story and I'm interested in how you become musical and how you adapt to other people and again, yeah, uh, so to take the recitation retention thing, uh, being able to execute a choreography perf perfectly is a really interesting skill but it's a little bit in the recitation uh, retention uh, paradigm. So, um, yes, then let's, I'll, I'll constrain myself kind of to decorative knowledge, although actually for dance it's procedural that I'm interested in mostly, uh, and talk about decorative knowledge for a bit. So, um, or for actually the, the remainder of this, of this episode. The interesting thing uh, about decorative knowledge or one of the interesting things about learning is so psychological models of um, memory uh, typically have uh, short-term memory and various kinds depending on the model of long-term memory uh, I'm no longer really familiar with them but the, 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 the interesting constraint is that short-term memory is uh, quite limited uh, so if you remember a phone number uh, you can remember maybe six, seven digits or a phone number, or you can group them together and then you have numbers and you can remember slightly more of them. But basically you can put them in your short-term memory and you can retrieve them, but if you put anything else new in, other things have to get knocked out. Uh, and that's the big difficulty of any class, uh, is that every new thing that people have, they need to put in their short-term memory before it can go somewhere else. So um, there's only so much you can actually do. And so that's the, the, the first important point. Because of this constraint, constraint on short-term memory, you really need to rely on prior knowledge. 
So in a dance context, people already know how to walk. If you try to reteach them how to walk, well, that's other th that eliminates other things that you'd be able to teach them because their short-term memory will only uh, be able to handle so much. So this is also called uh, cognitive load. And cognitive load is a limit on how much uh, new information or how much um, superfluous, extraneous, how much noise uh, people can handle on top of that. So that's a big criticism also of uh, constructivism or uh, learning through experimentation. Uh, if you're too busy in freeform experimentation, then you have too many things to take into account and it's very difficult to be guided uh, in a way that cognitive load doesn't overwhelm you. Um, so yes, then we have prior knowledge. And prior knowledge takes... Um, uh, we are, uh, leaning on prior knowledge allows us to bring in new knowledge and allows us to have uh, new things that are going to be first in short-term memory. And then the transfer to long-term memory. Uh, there's lots of different ways people think of that. Uh, I've kind of created my own metaphor for this, which I'm not sure if this is an actual model that has been proposed and validated in some way, but it's one that really makes sense to me. So um, rather than just remembering single things, in order to transfer, we need to fit new knowledge into a web or a network of uh, existing things. And this is for two reasons. One is otherwise it can't transfer because it's this little bit of knowledge that exists on its own and that doesn't relate to other things. And the other is that your web, the, your current web, is kind of like a ball of string. And it's kind of a smooth ball of string. And if you add new strands of string to that smooth ball of string, they're just going to fall straight off. So what you need to do before you can add these new strands is to rough up the ball of string a little bit. Like take a, um, a steel brush and create a, a rougher, felty, sticky, velcro-y edge onto which you can add the new strands. Um, and that will do two things. One, it will place the strands in the right place for transfer because it's kind of some kind of similar pathway of thought or of practice that uh, you need. Uh, and it provides a way of making it attached as opposed to something that people will just consider and then both forget and let go of in 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 goes both ways yeah uh, and so again there we have a really interesting thing so we often we want to provide new knowledge to people um, like we want to teach them sugar pushes so we teach them uh, we say, okay, forget everything you've ever known about the sugar push, I'm going to teach you a sugar push. And that means that you're creating this other ball of string over here with the new sugar push. And how is that new ball of string ever going to connect to the old ball of string? Probably it's not. And there are situations, like if you're having a week-long workshop, you can probably build up a completely new sugar push in people and see how that works out for them. But if you just have an hour, eh, not going to happen. Uh, so you activate the prior knowledge so that you have the right ball of string and then you rough up the prior knowledge. So the roughing up, uh, sometimes it's called cognitive conflict. Um, we use it a lot in collaborative learning. Uh, the idea that if we have multiple people, they're going to have divergent opinions and so they're going to have to sort it out. 
they're going to have to, rather than, I mean, often people just argue about them instead, which is kind of counterproductive. But ideally, they would figure, oh, we have some uh, opinions and they can't simultaneously be true, uh, so we need to kind of figure out what's wrong with our existing, what's wrong with our existing hypotheses, what is wrong with our existing beliefs, what is wrong with our existing knowledge, or what is incomplete. Uh, and that not only kind of roughs up the ball, but it creates the gap in the right place in the ball. Uh, and so uh, Ali, Katya, um, and the rest of the Swing Step uh, crew do that wonderfully uh, with their treasure move concept, uh, which basically we're going to give you a new technique and we're going to give you a treasure move that would not be achievable without that new technique. And so you try out the treasure move and you're like, hey, I can't do this thing. Why can I not do this thing? They're like, because you don't have this uh, technical element. And so let's work on this technical element. And then maybe by the end of class you get the treasure move, maybe you don't. Uh, maybe you just work on the technical element and uh, contrasting different things with that, around that technical element. But you have uh, the, the roughness, the, the, the lack of ability to currently be able to do the treasure move that is there for you and is waiting for you and is waiting for you to nail those technical skills uh, so that then you'll be able to do the treasure move. And so you have kind of the, the, the motivation and the place uh, in your overall dancing that that thing is going to fit. And so obviously if the treasure move doesn't speak to you, that's kind of uh, more of a problem. Uh, but globally you have that, that, that idea. And so you want people with their existing knowledge to try out a thing and see where the gap is. Uh, and that's what's going to create the cognitive conflict that's going to allow the new knowledge to stick to something uh, instead of sliding right off. Um, I also wanted to talk about uh, identity but I, and also something else. Yes, I guess I'll keep that for another time. Uh, so for today, um, prior knowledge serves two purposes. One, it reduces cognitive load. And two, uh, it activates the correct ball of string for new knowledge to be inserted. Um, and then on top of that, you need to add uh, some roughness to that ball of string so that the new knowledge will actually stick uh, instead of falling off. And that's basically, in my mind, uh, the, the, the sort of big truth, or one of the big truths, about how people learn and how to design learning experiences for them. Um, if you find, know of any research uh, about um, procedural and declarative knowledge uh, and kind of the, 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 the learning science equivalent for uh, dance or music or basically um, performancey stuff without it being um, perfect execution but more kind of uh, learning technique and stuff, uh, please let me know. And if you try out these ideas for your dance classes also, yeah, let me know how it works out for you. Um, See you next time, and until then, take care.